0: Chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are here gathered in your presence to hear all that it is that you have for us today through Pastor Chris. Lord, so I pray that you would crack open our hearts and our ears. And that we might be encouraged, built up, strengthened, inspired, Lord, and you might uh, speak to us uh, through uh, Pastor Chris. And uh, we ask you to do that now as he uh, comes uh, to preach. Amen.
1: Thank you, brother. Good morning. Good to see all of you. So, this is my my second time preaching here at Wellspring. Uh, Last time we were in a school. How many of you were here when the school was the gathering place? Wow, that's fantastic. So, a lot of you are new. I love that. So, Ricky and I, um, Pastor Ricky, we are a part of the same church planting network. Uh, this is a church plant. As Ricky just said, it's only two years old, uh, three. We're now into 2023, so three-ish years old. Uh, we are a part of a church planting network called the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. We are we see ourselves as the next chapter of the book of Acts. Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in house arrest, and he is still calling Unbelievers and believers in the Lord Jesus to himself to disciple them and to share the gospel and and it abruptly ends uh, Acts 28 with Paul in prison and so what we're saying is we are the next chapter of the book of Acts And if you read the book of Acts as a church planting book, you can see that from chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church at Antioch, and they begin to plant churches all over the Mediterranean world. Think about the Mediterranean Sea, and, and Paul and Barnabas and other apostles, not capital A, small a sent ones, they plant churches all over that Mediterranean world, and then as those churches are planted paul the apostle helps to raise up leaders and those churches become autonomous churches that are led uh, and self-governed if you will and that's what we are trying to do as a network we are trying to see healthy churches planted all over the united states and all over the globe and so i'm super excited to see what's happening here and i'm so thankful to be here to share god's word with you this morning real quick before i jump into the text i got to tell a quick funny story so Ricky uh, has come from a, a church called Remnant in Richmond, Virginia. And I was there recently uh, doing some training for seminary. And uh, one of the gentlemen in class began to tell a story about Ricky. And he said, yeah, he was, he was living in the hood and he playing basketball and he's just out there with no fear and he's dunking on guys. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know Ricky was that good at basketball. And, and I like to play basketball a little bit too. So believe it or not, right next thing on my schedule was a prayer meeting on Zoom with other Acts 29 members. And so I jump on in my call, and who shows up randomly in the prayer call but Ricky Love. Wasn't supposed to be there, I think. In fact, I think the leader, Dave Pinckney, was like, what are you doing here, Ricky Love? How'd you get in here? And uh, so I start telling the story. I'm like, Ricky, I-, I didn't know you could dunk. I didn't know you were that good. He's like, the legend grows. <laughs> and so what tends to happen when, when people are, are a big deal? Ricky's a big deal, right? They leave and then they become even bigger as time goes forward. And so he 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 is seen as this fantastic monster, you know, basketball player on par with with LeBron James there. So, don't don't challenge him to a 1 on 1 game cuz he might he might eat your lunch. All right, let's jump in. So I want to pray, and then I want to jump into 2 Timothy 1, 3 to 7. And though these are a few verses, there is so much packed into these verses, it's going to be hard for me to keep, keep my sermon under three hours, okay? So I'll promise two and a half hours, and I'm out of here. Is that cool? Two hours? Yeah, right right down there. Second second uh, door to the right there. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, to see the truth in your word. Help us to make practical application in our lives. And would you make this text live? May it not just be words on a page, words in an ancient book, but would it be life giving to us by your spirit? Please help me, give me the words to say, and give us all ears to hear. And eyes to see. And I pray, Father, please, by your spirit, would you speak to each person here? We all need to hear from you today, God. So please, do what only you can do and speak to each of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, so my, my style of preaching teaching is to uh, do textual comparisons. So we're going to have the base of our sermon in 2 Timothy 1, to 3-7, as we travel through the book of 2 Timothy. But then I'm going to reference a lot of other texts to help illuminate the original text. And so, as I do that, texts are going to appear on the screen behind me. So, you'll be able to follow along as, this, as the texts show up, you'll be able to know what's going on. Alright, so this is 2 Timothy 1, uh, and I'm going to read... Through verses, my clear conscience. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with three, and you can see it there. So let me read three. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's fine. If you want to follow along on your digital Bible, that's fine. If not, all the text will be up on the screen. So Paul, the apostle, writing to his understudy, his son in the faith, Timothy, he says this. Timothy, I thank God, whom I serve With a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. I remember you in my prayers, night and day. Now, this is verse 3. And here, what Paul is, is claiming here is that he is thankful for Timothy. Timothy, I thank God for you. And this is the God whom I serve. I am the servant of the same God as you. And I serve him with a clear conscience. I, I don't have anything weighing on me. There's no ill motives. There's no shadow motives that I'm, I'm doing anything other than serving God. As far as I can tell, my motives are clean and clear. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, as my ancestors did. And Paul comes from a long line of history, starting with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 tribes of Jacob, or as Jacob's name was changed to Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And I wanna shift real quick and show you Paul giving the same testimony as he's on trial before a Roman governor named Felix. And he's giving a defense. He's, he's his own lawyer. He's representing himself in court. And he talks about this. And so we're going to look real quick at Acts 24, 14 to 15. Here it is. Paul, remember, he's on trial here. And he's giving his own defense before a Roman governor named Felix. He said, I admit this to you, Felix, I worship the God of my ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Jacob, according to the way which they call a sect. Okay, now what Paul is saying here is the way is this new quote-unquote sect of Judaism that follows this one named Jesus Of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Messiah, who died on a cross, and then was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. So, in the first century, before uh, formulations happened with church and before we were called Christians, this was called the way. And so, this is what Paul's talking about here. He says, uh, which they call a sect, believing, now listen close here, believing everything that is in accordance with the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law, the first five books of the Bible, and is written in the prophets, okay? The the Jews thought of the 39 books of the Old Testament in these three ways, the law, the prophets, and the writings, which would be like the Psalms and the wisdom literature. Uh, And so he's saying, I'm doing nothing here but continuing to serve the God of my ancestors in the tradition of the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now listen to this. Verse 15, he says, I have hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that these men are those who are prosecuting him. They're bringing charges against him. These men also accept that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. And so Paul then goes to give his story. My point in bringing this to you was to say, this is what Paul means when he says in 2 Timothy, I serve the God of my ancestors. I am doing nothing but following that line of servants, the forefathers of the Jewish faith, which is now being fulfilled in Christ, the promised Messiah that was promised in the law, the prophets and the writings has now come. He has died for sins and sinners and now there is coming a great resurrection. And so the idea is in the Bible, all people will be resurrected, both the good and the and the bad or those who are in Jesus called righteous because we have his righteousness and we are not depending on our own righteousness we have another's an alien righteousness that is ours we depend on Jesus and not ourselves they are the righteous and then we have the unrighteous those who have their own form of righteousness those who are good people quote-unquote those who keep the law those who I got this covered okay That's the way Paul understands righteousness and unrighteousness. There are those who are in Jesus and they have his righteousness received, not achieved. And then there are those who have their own righteousness, which is achieved, which is no righteousness at all, according to Paul in the New Testament. This is our hope, friends. We either have Jesus in our place, both on the cross as a negative substitute, taking the penalty for our sins. Jesus got treated like he lived my life on the cross, punished for my sin. And the beautiful, positive side of the cross is this. And I get treated like I lived His life. I get His perfect obedience to the Father given as a gift. This is the gospel. This is the great exchange. This is our hope. And this is what Paul is saying here on trial. I have hope in God through Jesus. And there is coming a great resurrection by which we will have to give an account to God for our lives. Did we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? Did we receive the righteousness of Jesus and now we're safe and hidden in Him? Or are we going at this alone, in ourselves, with our own righteousness on Judgment Day? It's not a place you want to be. And we'll continue to talk about that as we go. Now I want to move to the second part of verse 3 now. He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers, Timothy. Now listen, okay, I got to pause. Little parenthesis here, okay? Here's the parenthesis. There is so much packed into half a verse, you could literally spend 20 to 30 minutes there. We don't have that kind of time, okay? So this is in part what the community groups are, gospel communities that we call them. Community groups, that's what they're for. So, you can unpack more of the text, okay? So, I I don't want to move on, but we have to move on, okay? And so, you can dig much deeper into these messages in community groups. So, please come and ask questions and and get deeper into the text. So, Paul here now says, I pray for you, Timothy, constantly, constantly. Constantly, when I constantly remember you in my prayers, both notice this night and day. He doesn't say day and night, and that points back to Genesis in the creation, uh, where night actually begins the day. It says, "And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning on the second day." In the Jewish mind, the day started in the evening, and then it started in the uh, ended in the next going into evening. Okay, so that's why he says night and day. But I want to take a Mm. let me take a paragraph here and unpack something that I think would be helpful. How many of you struggle with prayer? I do. I'll, I'll put my hand up. Okay, and here's, here's why I tend to struggle with prayer. I have a view of God that He controls everything because that's what the Bible teaches. All things. Okay? In Him we live and move and have our being. From Him, through Him, and back to Him are all things. All things. Uh, Ephesians 1 11 he works all things according to the counsel of his will and the verses just keep rolling on I believe that about God Paul believes that and so where I struggle when I read this I'm like Paul you believe in God's sovereignty you know what Jesus said that not even a sparrow falls from the sky without it being the will of the Father in heaven so why do you spend so much time praying I struggle with that Now, I've been helped by many theologians and and authors and and scholars, okay? One whom I've been helped by in this uh, question is a guy named Roger Nicole. Does that name mean anything to anyone? Roger Nicole. Okay, that's all right. He was a a professor. He's now dead. He wrote a ton of essays, gave a ton of lectures. And I have a lot of paragraphs here, which I'm going to skip for sake of time and just read a few of them, just maybe two. And I think this will help you, okay? This will help you. The question I want to wrestle with very quickly is how can we wrestle with God's sovereignty and our prayers changing things and making a difference in real time? Like how is that possible? And so Roger Nicole, an address given to Philadelphia, it was called Prayer, the Prelude to Revival. And he says this Do you think that you can really change the mind of God? Question mark. That is, can prayer make God modify his sovereign plan? There are people who feel that unless you are prepared to say this, there is no great value in prayer. If that is the power you have, it is certainly a most dangerous thing. Surely God does not need our counsel in order to set up what is desirable. Surely God, whose knowledge penetrates all minds and hearts, does not need us to intervene to tell him what he ought to do. The thought that we are changing the mind of God by our prayers is a terrifying concept. I will be frank to confess that if I really thought I could change the mind of God by praying, I would abstain. I would have to say, how can I presume with the limitations of my own mind and the corruptions of my own heart, how can I presume to interfere with the counsels of the Almighty? It is almost as if you were to introduce somebody who is utterly ignorant of electronics and give them access to a weapons plant in which, (laughs) give them access to a weapons plant in which, by pushing certain buttons, one might precipitate an explosion. And you say, go ahead, push buttons. Never mind what happens. Oh, no. There is comfort. for the child of God and being assured that our prayers will not change God's mind this is not what is involved in prayer we are not in danger of precipitating explosions by some rash desire on our part but then people say if you can't change God's mind what is the point of praying if prayer does not change things prayer is worthless one more paragraph listen close Here, you have perhaps noticed that I've changed the formula. I did not say, change the mind of God, but changes things. I never said that prayer does not change things. Prayer does change things, but it does not change the mind of God. God, uh, I'm sorry, the reason prayer does not change things, but does change, Uh, does change things but does not change the mind of God is that he appoints prayer as an effectual means for accomplishing his own purposes. This effectually means that it is essential for this accomplishment. When we have a right understanding of the sovereignty of God, we recognize that God has established a plan in which not only the effects but also the causes are ordained. We cannot disconnect the causes from the effects. Let me simplify that in a sentence. God uses our prayers and the answering of our prayers to accomplish His sovereign purposes. You know, there's a passage in James where James says, You have not? Why? Because you ask not. John Piper, a hero of mine, said about that verse, If you would have asked, the universe would have been different. But because you didn't ask, nothing happened. You see, God uses our prayers and the answering of our prayers to accomplish His eternal purposes. That's beautiful. And so, pray is the application point there. Let us not neglect prayer especially if you believe God is sovereign and saying oh well God knows what's going to happen it's preordained before the foundation of the world I don't need to pray no you do need to pray I need to pray we need to pray we need to be praying as Paul does for Timothy constantly constantly and prayer is hard work in fact it's labor You know, I I did labor-type work before I became a pastor, not only digging and and pushing heavy things, but using tools, and and I know what it's like to sweat doing labor. Equate that with prayer, because that's sometimes how hard prayer is. And you know what it's like to try to concentrate on prayer for even 15 minutes without being distracted, right? It's labor, isn't it, Ricky? It's laborsome. Okay, now we have to move on. Again, we could stay in verse 3 all morning, but we need to move on. So let's now go to verse 4. Let's go to first four. Um, let me read it. Recalling, so remember, he's connecting himself with his with uh, Paul's connecting himself with his ancestors. He's now saying, "I've constantly been praying for you, Timothy," and he says this: remembering your tears, Timothy. When when I think of you, I think of your face with tears streaming down them. That's how I remember you. Remembering your tears, I long to see you. That I may be filled with joy. You see, for Paul, Timothy was like a child. As far as we can tell from reading Scripture, Paul was not married, and Paul had no children. As far as we can tell, okay? and Paul did have though sons in the faith, Titus and Timothy being two of them. In fact, let's look real quick at uh, at two verses here. This is uh, from First Timothy. So, 1 Timothy 1 2 uh, says this to, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And then from last week's message, from 2 Timothy 1 2, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. So, in a sense, Paul adopted Timothy, probably not legally, but as a spiritual father. He saw Timothy as his son. And Whenever this was that Paul departed from Timothy, there was tears and there was sadness, no doubt from Paul too. And so every time he thinks of Timothy, he thinks, my son, how is he doing? And he sees those tears. And when he sees those tears, he is inspired to pray constantly for him. And the prayers are effective. They are effective because Timothy uh, became the, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, it was a great church, and it did have some problems, as every church does. There are no perfect churches, but Timothy had a large uh, burden to bear with the church at Ephesus, and so he says, "I am fill, I want to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Did you know? that you could be discouraged. I hope this this has happened to you. You could be discouraged, you could be downcast, you could be upset, and you see somebody whom you love and you know they love you, and boom, a 180 happens. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it happened to me many, many times. In fact, uh, many times when I'm coming into worship gatherings with my church, I'm I'm often discouraged. I'm often downcast. I'm often, even even low-grade depression might be a good way to describe it. And I get into that room, and I see my brothers and sisters, and I see those whom I love, knowing they love me, and boom, I am up again. And that's in part why we gather week by week by week to worship together so that we might encourage one another and build one another up and maybe not just on Sunday for a few hours but perhaps throughout the week too. Okay, this is part of God's design for the church that we might encourage one another. In fact, Hebrews, uh, the writer to Hebrews says daily, like don't, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some but rather encourage one another daily, every day, be encouraged and be encouraging one another. And so Paul sees Timothy as one of his own sons, and this is why it's so emotional in this text. I long to see you. I want to be filled with joy. I know that the moment I see you physically, Timothy, as I can see you in my imagination right now, I'm going to be filled to the brim with joy. And so until then, I pray And no doubt, in Paul's prayers, he's praying that he would see Timothy, that this would be a reality, that this desire and longing would come true. All right, let's move now to verse 5. Verse 5 reads, I recall your sincere faith. Remember, Paul speaking to Timothy, I remember, I recall your sincere faith. Faith, friends, is neutral, but its object is crucial. The word faith in this context means to place trust in, to place your trust in. Did you know that every single person on the planet has faith in something for ultimate security and reality? Even atheists have faith. Did you know that? Agnostics have faith. Uh, they believe in origin story. They have an idea of where we go after we die. In fact, I'll just do the atheist one right now. If you're an atheist in here, uh, come talk to me afterward. I'd love to have a great conversation with you about what we believe. Okay? Here's what an atheist would say. There is no spirit. There is no soul. It's, we're, we're a materialistic universe. Okay? And when we die, that's it. The problem is you can't empirically prove that. You can't. And so you take that by faith. And there are all kinds of faiths, plural, out there. There's the faith that is in Muhammad and his writings called the Quran. There is faith in the Buddhist holy books. There is faith in uh, New Age mysticism, which puts faith in certain incantations and crystal rocks and all kinds of things. Everybody has faith, is my point. Christians have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We place our trust and put our hope in a person for our safety, for our forgiveness, for our future good and security, okay? Now, we also place faith in the 66 books of the Bible because they clearly describe Jesus Christ's person and work. And they flesh that out through those 66 books. In fact, there's a line, multiple lines you could trace from Genesis to Revelation, a book spanning 1,500 years in the writing. And yet, all these lines could be traced, all these hyperlinks, which means uh, it's a supernatural book written ultimately by God through men and women. And so Paul says in verse 5 this, I recall your sincere faith. Sincere faith in, in what? In Jesus in his person and work, which now Timothy is a proclaimer of. I remember your sincere faith. Now look at this. Paul says generational faith. I love this. This is my prayer for any of you who have kids, any of you grandparents in here. He says that first lived in your grandmother. How many of you have Christian grandmothers in here? Anybody? Man, that's beautiful. Okay, that's That is a gift from God, Christian grandmothers, which would then transfer that faith as Jude uh, chapter one, verse three says, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's a different sense of the word faith. That means the content of Christianity. You could say the Muslim faith, the content of what is in the Quran. The faith contained in the scriptures is what Jude means in Jude one, three. The faith once for all delivered or handed to the saints. That faith was passed down to Timothy's mother through his grandmother. We know his grandmother's name, Lois. Lois. That first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. Lois and Eunice. And now I am convinced is also in you or is in you also. So this is, friends, this is really important, okay? If you're a grandmother in here, Or you're a mother, there is great hope in this text that you have been placed in this position in part to transfer this faith down to your children and grandchildren, praying that they would also do the same and that this faith would be passed from generation to generation to generation to generation. That's God's design you know that the family is one of the three institutions that God designed for human flourishing you have government you have the church and you have family those are the three institutions biblically that God set up for human flourishing and I know some of you want to argue with me that government's good I know I know where I'm preaching okay I get that okay <laughs> we could talk about that another time but God set it up as a common grace good for us and so in the family, the Christian family, there is to be discipleship. There is to be a conveying of the truths of the gospel and of the Bible. And there are many good Christian books. Okay? We live in a fantastic age where you can click a button and two days later books show up at your house. It's amazing. Okay? And pretty soon they'll be flying in by drones. It's like, yes, another book. I love this. Okay? Amazon, obviously, I'm referring to. So... You you have an abundance of resources out there. Ricky has a whole library of resources he would like you to buy and read to your kids in in his mind, so talk to him afterward, okay? He'll let you know which ones to get that are the good ones. But there are so many ways to transfer the faith to your children, and this is what happened to Timothy. Lois to Eunice, and now to Timothy. Now, interestingly... Where's Timothy's dad in the picture here? Interesting. He's just left out. But he's not left out of the Scriptures. So if we could go to Acts 16, just for a minute, I want to read you something. Acts 16, chronicling the spread of Christianity throughout the Mediterranean world, as I already mentioned. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts And he writes here in Acts 16, verse 1 to 3, this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. That's our Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, Eunice, but his father was a Greek. Meaning Gentile, meaning not Jewish, but also not a believer because it would have been mentioned if he was a believer. So he's not a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Timothy had a great reputation. Hey, we know his grandmother. His mom's fantastic. He's following right in their footsteps. He's solid in the faith. And so Paul takes notice of this young man named Timothy, whose father is not in the picture, at least not in a faith sense. And Paul wanted, verse 3, Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, do I have time to unpack circumcision for a second? That's weird. I'm going to, in church service, unpack circumcision, just for a second, all right? Give me a second. It'll be fun, I promise. All right, so here's the deal with circumcision, okay? For us, that's a normal medical practice that you do to to your male child right in the hospital, And you just have to treat that, you know, with a little bit of Vaseline, and and we're all good. Now we have to forget about that. Don't worry about that. In this day and age, and especially reaching back into the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, this was a sign that God gave to Abraham, which Abraham was to pass down to Isaac, then to Jacob, then Jacob was to pass it to his children. And this was a sign that you were a part of the people of God, what we would call uh, believers, the covenant people of God, the Jews. And so Greeks and other ethnicities did not practice this in the first century nor before the first century. It was not practiced like we practice it here in America, okay? So to to this culture, it was not normal unless you were Jewish because it was proscribed to you in Genesis, which was then passed throughout the whole of redemptive history, okay? So there's the quick of it. Now, interestingly, circumcision has nothing to do with you gaining favor with God or being not in good standing with Him. Nothing at all. And in fact, sometimes for the sake of the good news, Paul will require an uncircumcised missionary traveler with him. He will require it. And sometimes for the sake of the good news, he will say, no, that should not happen. And so it's not an issue But for Paul, he uses it for the sake of the gospel. I could show you two quick quick places. Um, Let's look real quick at Galatians 5, uh, 2 to 6. So Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, in Galatians, and he says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Why? Because they were going to rely on that, they're going to place faith in circumcision, rather Than placing faith in jesus person and work that's the issue here in galatians they were they wanted to adapt jewish culture jewish law jewish festivals and circumcision so that they could receive god's favor and love and forgiveness and paul's like no 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 if you accept circumcision christ will be of no advantage to you i testify again to every man who accepts circumcision who would be justified by the law meaning try to be made right by law keeping by living uh, according to the prescriptions of the law, you have fallen from grace. For though the Spirit, by faith, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith in Christ. Okay. So again, I bring that up to say, It was not a big deal that he did that to Timothy. In fact, later in Galatians or earlier, he actually uh, did not do it to Titus. Titus was another son of his faith. So, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in in, uh, Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield submission for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's the deal. This was being prescribed in the first century by a sect of Jewish people who also believed in Jesus. They were called Judaizers, okay, Judaizers. And they not only said, yes, you must believe in Jesus. You must entrust yourself to him for the forgiveness of sins. But you also need the Sabbath, and the new moon festivals, and circumcision, and the dietary regulations of the law. You need all that, and then God will be right with you. So basically, they wanted you to become proselyte Jewish and receive Jesus. And Galatians is all about, no, Jesus alone is your hope. And if you place faith in anything else, whether circumcision, dietary laws, calendar events observed, you have fallen from the grace of God and now you are trying to earn your salvation by some kind of works. And for us, friends, we do this too. It's like I go to church. For some of us, if we're not trusting in Jesus, we might say, hey, my my grandmother was a Christian. My mother was a Christian. My great-grandmother was a Christian. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. I I used to write graffiti. That's why my hands jacked up. I got ran over by a train. I was painting a train. I'm kidding. That did not happen. I did actually have a train leave on me while I was painting it. You ever see graffiti on trains? That was me. All of that. Just kidding. I was painting this train, and all of a sudden, you know, the trains are linked by little locks. They click in, and all of a sudden I hear click, 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 and the train, the whole line just rolls away as I'm painting it. Thank God my limbs are still intact and my feet are still with me, right? No, I, I've hurt this coaching middle school basketball. I thought I was not 42 and I was playing a little too hard and fractured my, my wrist a little bit here. Um, so here's the story. This happens, Ricky. Sometimes you tell a story within a story. It's like the Inception movie, a dream within a dream, and you lose the first story. If it comes back to me, I'll tell it. If not, God's sovereign purposes was that I would not tell the story. All right. Oh, I remember. Okay. So I used to write graffiti. I used to write graffiti. And I, ch- I would travel and write graffiti. So I went to, to Syracuse, New York to, to do this big wall for this hip-hop event that, that I was painting. And there was a writer there. That's what we called graffiti writers, writers. And his name was Crook, C-R-O-O-K. And he was up all over. He was famous in that city. And he let us stay at his house. Like he was a generous guy. Okay? And, and I was a ferocious evangelist at the time. And so I just kept hammering him with Jesus in the gospel. Hammering him with Jesus. And at, at one point he was like, Chris. And he went to his closet and he reached up high and he pulled out this giant six inch thick Bible and he was like, Poof, And he put it on the table. I- I'm okay, was his point. Like, look, look you don't understand. My family is Christian. We got this giant Bible, man. Like, I'm already good. Why do you keep bothering me about this Jesus? You know what? My friend was not good. Because his faith was not in Christ, obviously. If his argument to me was, look at this giant Bible that's been in my family forever, who was he trusting in? Not Jesus. Something else. And friends, anything else is dangerous. Whether it's a big Bible that's been in your family forever, or it's your, look, I'm an Irish Catholic, man. We, for generations, we've been fighting Irish. Irish Catholic. No, nothing to do with you being right with God. I don't care if you went to Notre Dame. Doesn't matter. Okay? People depend on all kinds of things other than Jesus for their security. And we who are gospel Christians, Bible Christians, Wellspring, no, no, no. No. Jesus alone. Jesus alone for salvation. He is our hope, period. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's our formula. Jesus plus nothing, we get everything. Jesus plus anything, you lose it all. You lose it all. And if you come back every week, you'll hear that packaged in different ways every single week. Right, Ricky? Amen. And so for Paul here, circumcision was just a means of gospel advancement. If it serves the preaching of the gospel, because in this region, everybody knows Timothy's father was a Greek, so I'll be able to get into the synagogues and share the gospel because, well, look, he's he's circumcised. He's proselyte. He's in with us. Paul will do it. But if the deal is in this culture, people are seeking to depend on circumcision in order to be right with God. Paul says to Titus, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because for him, it's not a thing. It's only in service to advance the gospel. Did I set off some kind of alarm by preaching too loud? All right, I love that. As long as we're okay, we're good. All right, so remember, we were talking about Uh, circumcision here because the text brought it up. Remember, Paul meets Timothy. It's it's, uh, known that his father is an unbelieving Greek. And so in order to serve the gospel advancement so Paul can take Timothy into heavily Jewish populated areas. Now here's a question I have that's not been answered sufficiently. Like how did they know? Yeah, like maybe, I don't know. Like did they check? Like, hey man, you in? Prove it. I don't know, I have no idea. Okay, we can, we can ask some Bible scholar on that in the future, okay? Um, let, let's move now to the second part of verse five. So he says, I recall your sincere faith. I remember your faith, Timothy, which was first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is also in you. So again, let's close chapter, uh, verse 5 here by saying this. It is so important, mothers and grandmothers, this is part of God's gift and design to you, is that your part of your responsibility is to pass that faith down. Pass that faith down. i got three kids, and my wife spends far more time with the kids than I do. You know why? Because I'm out working. Because I have one full-time job and several part-time jobs. And I'm a pastor, so I have to meet with people at all hours, strange hours, okay? And so my wife, by default, serves the Lord by serving our family and keeping the kids, and part of her job is to pass down the faith that is ours. No one will do it perfectly, and that's not what God wants you to do. He just wants you to do it. Small truths, uh, Bible verses, gospel answers to questions that kids have, all of that consistently in the time you have the kids will make a massive difference. So grandmas and mothers, be encouraged that you have a gospel job, especially to your kids, especially to your kids. All right, let's move to verse six. And we got one verse to go after six, and we're saying amen. Verse six. I'm gonna skip some slides there, Brandon, because I'm running out of time. So let's go to six. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Timothy was given a gift by Paul, and in another text we get some more details. It wasn't just Paul. There was a council of elders there who took part in this. Um, In fact, we can see it in 1 Timothy Four. And so I do have that. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4, and let's look at that. Paul says that Tim, he wrote two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, very creatively named. And in 1 Timothy 4.14, this is what Paul says. He's describing the same exact thing, but just with more detail. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. But here, in 2 Timothy, he simply says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the full picture is this. There were prophetic words spoken to Timothy and there was a council of pastors. The word pastor uh, is synonymous with elder, synonymous with overseer in the New Testament. It's pastor. Council of pastors surrounding Timothy, laying their hands on him, proclaiming over him, and praying for him. That's the picture. Okay? And the apostle Paul was unique in this sense. Okay? How many apostles were there that Jesus took around with him? Someone shouted out. Twelve. That's right. And then there was minus one because of Judas, remember, who betrayed him. And then in Acts chapter 1 they replaced Judas with a guy named Matthias. Matthias. Okay. So Matthias took the place of Paul, I'm sorry, of, of Judas. But then, interestingly, there's a 13th apostle. And interestingly, Paul wrote 13 letters. Don't That's just interesting. There's there's no theological connection there. I just think it's interesting. But Paul is not the same as the 12. Why? Because he was explicitly set apart and called by Jesus to the Gentiles. The 12 apostles with Jesus were called to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. Paul explicitly is the apostle to the Gentiles. So he is different in that sense, okay? And he was given the same gifts by Jesus to the 12 to do miraculous things. Paul could heal people. In fact, in the book of Acts, he preaches so long one night that there's a young man sitting in the window, and Paul prolonged his speech into the night, meaning he preached for hours. And the man's name was Eutychus. He fell asleep, fell out of the third-story window, hit the ground, and died. And everyone's like, (gasps) Paul goes down. Picks him up and says, his life is still in him. He brought him back to life. And I think it's so funny. They go back to the third story. He puts him away from the window. And he's like, now, back to my third point. And literally, he kept preaching until morning. Isn't that crazy? But that is the kind of gifting that Paul had. He could heal people. He could cast out demons. In addition, he could give gifts but it wasn't actually him, it was the Holy Spirit moving through him that imparted this gift to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, remember when we laid our hands on you, equivalent kind of to our ordination services, if you're familiar with Christianity, and, and we're sent out. That happened to me when I planted my church from my being on a council of elders. We were prayed over with, with hands, and we were then sent out with blessing. Asked that the God would, would Bless our endeavors, okay? And Paul, in that prayer, must have imparted some kind of spiritual gift to him. And just so you know, in the psychology of Paul, he imagines Timothy as taking his place. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. In fact, some think that perhaps as he was done penning it, it was only weeks after his head was chopped off uh, by Nero at Rome, or through Nero's declaration, okay? And so, he wants Timothy to take his place as overseeing all these churches and overseeing Gentile Christianity at the time. And so, he says, fan into flame the gift that you have. Now, I want to encourage you here, okay? Here's how I want to encourage you. Every single Christian has been given at least one gift by God. Did you know that? We call them spiritual gifts. You can read about them in 1 Corinthians 12, you can read about them in Romans 12, you can read about them in 1 Peter 4 and 5. There's a lot of places you can look and see the gifts of the Spirit. And every Christian has at least one, but most of you have more than one. Most Christians have more than one gift. And here's the encouragement, okay? We grow in our giftings, meaning that the gift you have is at some level and you are expected to exercise and practice that gift until it increases in its skill and ability and effectiveness. And that's what he said. Don't neglect the gift that was given you. Fan into flame the gift that was given you. And, And then in another text, Paul says, let everyone see your progress, Timothy. Meaning Timothy is at a certain level and he is going to and is expected to progress. So let me encourage you, where you're at right now in your gifting and in your effectiveness does not have to stay there and should not stay there. You should be be exercising effort and energy to increase in the skill and use of your spiritual gift to be effective for the kingdom of God. This is something that Ricky would love to do and work with you on. You need to grow in using your gift so that God's kingdom might expand. You feel me? Okay. And everyone is at a certain level, but the level you're at needs to grow. You need to go higher up. Or if you like depth, you need to go deeper. Where you're at right now is not where you should be in a year, two years, three years, four years. We're expected to progress, and you can see it here in Paul encouraging Timothy. Fan into flame the gift that was given you. Don't neglect your gifting. Grow in it. Use it. Okay, one more verse, and we're done. Verse 7. Let's read it together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and sound judgment. The ESV says self-control. The English Standard Version Translation. God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear. Rather, this spirit that you have is one of power, is one of love, and is one of self-control or sound judgment. Now... We know what spirit this is. This is not a demonic spirit. This is not an angelic spirit. This is not Timothy's immaterial soul or spirit. This is the capital S spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy you have the holy spirit living inside of you who is working through your giftings and this spirit is not one of fear now what it, now we can read into that a little bit safely and here's how we can read into that Timothy was probably a fearful guy he was probably timid we know he was a little bit sickly because in Uh, 1 Timothy, he says, hey, drink a little wine for your frequent ailments. So he was not healthy. He needed to take medicine, as many of us do. And so because Timothy was a little bit afraid, because Timothy had some fear issues, Paul's like, hey, remember the gift, and remember who lives in you, the Holy Spirit, who is not a spirit of fear. What kind of spirit is he then? He's a spirit of power, spiritual power, tempered with love and self control. Now, I'm, I'm a superhero movie guy. Any of you guys like the superhero movies? I did read comic books growing up when I was a kid. No superhero people? All right, I'm going to scratch that illustration then because it's not going to work with you all, which is fine. Okay, it's fine. So, so. All right, Ricky said do it. He's the man. He's my elder, so I'm going to have to do it. How many of you have seen the the new Black Adam movie from the DC universe? You've seen it. All right, my man. So he's going to get it. All right, so so in this movie, this guy is kind of like a bad guy, and he's kind of like a good guy, and it's hard to tell which one he is uh, until the end, and I'm not going to tell you which is which. But this guy is just overloaded with so much power, uh, bullets can be shot at him and and missiles are shot at him, and he sees everything in slow motion. It's like the Matrix. He's just watching it all happening in very slow motion, and he can just move at such speeds that no one can touch him. He is so powerful that multiple superheroes can't contain him, okay? Now, listen, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power, but it's restricted by everything or, or, or it's, it's governed by other things. We haven't been given a spirit of raw power like superheroes. We've been given a spirit of power tempered with what here? Love. So you've been given the power to what? To love people. And you do kind of need supernatural power to love people, right? Because people are hard to love. Let's just be honest. You ever fight with your spouse? You ever fight with your mom or dad you ever fight with your brother or sister you ever fight with fellow church members you ever fight with a a a waitress or a waiter or a barista i mean we humans fight with other people and yet the greatest command is to love god first with all your heart soul mind and strength and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself and friends if we're going to love people you know what we need power power and so here's my encouragement If you're struggling to love other people, you know what you need to do? Back to the beginning, you need to pray. Oh God, I am struggling to love my child. I want to do nothing but like a superhero, throw them into the next state. (laughs) Marilyn, get out of here. Friends, we need power to love difficult people. And let's be honest, at times you're difficult. You right? Just admit it. I'm the problem sometimes. Even if you own 1%, that's still a problem. You're a problem 1% of the time. But most times, it's 99% you. Let's just be honest. And you blame shift. It's not me. It's them. They're why I'm like this. Okay. We need power to love people. But look, there's also another qualifier, self-control. Meaning, we are not to be driven by our emotions, We are not to be driven by headlines. We are not to be driven by the the latest flashing warning on the television or Twitter or the newspaper. I'll give you an example, this is a neutral one. I could go politics, but I don't want a riot to break out in here, okay? So let's just do weather, weather's very safe. Okay, how many of you, I live in Pittsburgh, we're part of the Rust Belt and the Snow Belt, so we get a lot of snow there as I'm sure you do here. You know, you turn on the Weather Channel, and it's doomsday. It's the apocalypse. An inch of snow is coming. You know, and all of a sudden, people rush out, and there's no bread, and there's no coffee, and the eggs are gone, even at five bucks a carton. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yet, my kids go out and see the snow falling. They're like, yes! What's the difference? Interpretation of the event. Fear would have you panic that it's snowing. For my kids, they're like, why would we we be afraid? Man, we can sled, we can snowball, we can make a snowman, we can make snow. The the same event, by some, is seen in utter fear and terror. We're going to die. My kids are like, yes, we're going to sled, you know. And this happens, friends, with multiple situations in our lives, does it not? And if you're a person who is utterly fearful all the time, it's all bad news all the time. But friends, that's not the way of the Spirit. If God's in control and He's ruling and reigning and you're His son and daughter, He's going to keep you and you're going to be okay. And you have a whole family of people around you called the church to help you in whatever tragedy you face. It's all about perspective. And this is part of your growth as a Christian is getting your mind aligned biblically. You get your tires aligned when they're off. You let go of the wheel. that either drifts right or drifts left. We have to constantly be realigned with the Bible to think right because our thinking affects our feeling and our thinking and feeling affects our living. Does it not? Like, are you that afraid that you have to rush out and get bread or will you be like, you know what? The plow truck's going to come through. I got, I got four-wheel drive, right? All-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We can eat rice instead of bread for a day. Okay? And, and you're aligning your thoughts to what the culture is trying to do, which is make you afraid of everything, even your neighbor. Right? If you're a Democrat, Republicans are the devil. If you're a Republican, all Democrats are the devil. And I know some of you are thinking, well, they are. You, you've been sucked in. And you've not had a conversation with the other side and find out, oh, they drink coffee every day too. Oh, you like that kind of pipe tobacco? Me too. Oh, wait, you watch those movies? Oh, me too. So maybe we're a lot more alike than we think we are. But because we're so afraid of the other side and just name the other side, we won't even talk to them. But friends, this is not Christianity. Christianity says you have not been given a spirit of fear. But you've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. The Holy Spirit enables you to have control of you. And isn't that beautiful? Because I'm often out of control in my mind. And then I have to remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. Holy Spirit, take control of my thoughts. Take control of this this fear. Take control of this anxiety. Help me in this moment. Sometimes uh, you shoot up flare prayers, you know, like those flare guns. You're in an emergency, and a red firework goes up in the air. I pray those prayers all the time. God, I need your help now. Come through, or this is going to go really bad. Okay. So there's a lot, as you can see, in just a few verses, there's a lot in there. And we could spend far more time, but I'm out of time. In fact, I'm over time. And so I'm prayerful that you were going to take something that was mentioned today and it's going to be of benefit to your life and you're going to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you please apply that to me? I need that. Would you move in me in that way? And then don't give up praying until God answers. You have not because you ask not. And then Jesus said, if you knock, the door will open. If you seek, you'll find. If you ask, you'll receive. And so you keep asking, you keep knocking, you keep seeking until you receive, until the door opens, until you find, okay? So we're going to sing about Jesus once again to close the service. I'm not going to close it, but I am going to pray that God uses something that was said today to be of benefit to you. And we always want to highlight the person and work of Jesus. We've done it several times in the songs, in the prayers, and in the preaching. And we're going to continue to emphasize Jesus' person and work again. So let's pray.